Hey guys, and welcome to Hunting Land, presented by Great Days Outdoors Magazine. If you'd like to stay up to date on hunting tactics, land management, land values, and land market dynamics, this is the podcast for you. This week's show is brought to you by the Hunter's Mate Lowdown Trail Cam Reviewer. Finally, a trail cam viewer that actually works. Lowdown's high-speed trail cam viewer has flipping fast technology that allows you to view images three times faster on a screen that is 60% bigger than typical 7-inch viewers. Lowdown is a dedicated viewer slash photo manager made for one thing and one thing only. Fast, uncomplicated viewing of your trail cam images and videos. Lowdown makes viewing large numbers of images fast and easy. It allows you to easily delete individuals or groups of selected images. Find out more at lowdownviewer.com. And also brought to you by Patanis Defense. Masters of Darkness. Photonis is proud to offer the PD Pro line of night vision systems. The PD Pro series is the world's smallest and lightest night vision goggles. Built around the Photonis 16mm filmless 4G image intensifier tubes and their hybrid filmless 18mm image intensifier tubes. These ultralight, ultra-compact night vision systems deliver the cleanest image, best resolution, smallest, most transparent halo, and best overall performance and function of any night vision system available. The PD Pro line consists of the PD Pro M 16mm monocular, the PD Pro B 16mm binocular, and the PD Pro Q panoramic night vision system. Patanis Defense, Masters of Darkness. I'm your host, Joe Bay, here today with my co host, Butch Theory. And Butch, today we're going to be talking about chokes again, and it's the end of hunting season. You still need to stay polished up on those wing shooting skills. Additionally, some of us need to get better. I'm not going to say which one of us that is, but one of us doesn't always hit what they aim at. I would say both of us need to get better. I've seen <laughs> I've seen both of us shoot clays, and neither of them are very impressive. No, no, we're not winning any uh, any scorecards. It's a lot of fun, though. I, I do it is a lot of fun. It. Every time I do it, I enjoy I'm it. I'm like, why don't I do this more every time? Why don't I do this more? And I would like to get better at this. I could see how... But it's frustrating uh, this could, now. This could make me a better hunter. But, you know, that's, that's the, that is the frustrating part of sporting clays is how do you get better? Unless you've got a great coach sitting over top of you, how do you get better? Do I have the right gun? Do I have the right choke? Do, is my form off? I never know why I'm missing. Do you? Definitely not. And probably the biggest factor is we just don't do it enough to know all the ins and outs of you know, the science of it. And yeah, no, I, I miss a lot and I have no idea why I'm missing and what to do when I do miss. Yeah. It's kind of like going to the golf course and you just like, you hit one good and you hit one bad. And I don't know. I didn't try to swing any different. I just, uh, I can't I, say I'm way better at clay shooting than I am golf. <laughs> I'm a terrible golfer. Well, that's what we're going to be talking about today. Uh, the golf of the shotgun shooting sports and that's that's sporting clays and uh really you know how you can be a this is going to be a show that's going to help you just to become a better shooter period but if you're into sporting clays or you want to get into sporting clays uh we're going to cover gosh everything we can think of when it comes to setting your gun up right for sporting clays to do that we're talking with jim muller from muller chokes jim welcome back to the show man for folks that didn't hear you last time Tell us a little bit more about you and and you know your history with choke tube manufacturing. Hey guys, so so basically I uh, started duck hunting in 1975, and uh, come 1990 I wanted to become a better wing shooter, 
So I decided to get into sporting clays. Fast forward to like 1992, I really dove into sporting clays, became a much better shooter. But I realized that the chokes on the market were flawed. Um, Didn't matter what company it was, um, didn't matter what gun it was for, and it didn't matter what ammo you're shooting. There were huge variables. They didn't shoot the way they were marked. They rusted. They built up with plastic, carbon. Um, They came loose between stations. It was just sort of the same thing, you know, across the board. So make a very long story short, I, you know, at the time I was an aerospace defense manufacturer, metallurgist, heat treating, all that stuff. So I basically went into the shop, made my own and uh, never looked back. And uh, as years progressed, I did a huge amount of testing and ballistics with shotguns and just kept going and going. And before you knew it, you know, it was 2004. I had my own machine shop doing my own aerospace work. And then in 2007, 2008, when the economy tanked, I basically lost all my aerospace work and, you know, I needed to do something. And I, I knew, you know, 100% that I had invented the most even patterning choke in the world, the cleanest choke in the world, the lightest in the world. So I'm like, you know what, let me patent this, bring it out of closet, see if it'll help pay the bills. And um, I did so. And it basically revolutionized clay target sports in two years time and just took mm-hmm. off. So it was amazing. And then fast forward years after that, I took that same gun specific patterning geometry I invented for clay target sports and put it into my duck, goose and turkey chokes. So that brings us forward to today. Very cool story. So Jim, last time we had you on, we were talking about the best choke for turkey hunting. That's a unique sport unique needs just I, you know i've got my turkey gun and it's my turkey gun that's what it does it doesn't do anything else it's it's specially set up just for that purpose you start jumping into thinking about sporting clays exact same thing you know it's a unique event uh that has its own unique needs so for shooters that are doing sporting clays what are some of those unique needs what are some of the things that they want out of a out of a set of choke tubes to hopefully let them win the competition. Yeah, so for sporting clays, the thing about it is there's so many variables. It's it's why they call it golf with a shotgun. It's made to resemble hunting. You've got targets that are in your face inside 10 yards all the way out to sometimes 80 yards. And, And I've even heard of targets being out to 90, you know, like in Dubai. So So there's all sorts of different targets, different sizes, different colors, different shapes different flight paths, different speeds, and of course, all different trajectories. So so basically being able to change chokes is a really great benefit versus some other types of disciplines. So some of the biggest things and some of the biggest benefits for sporting clay shooters, I think, is the fact that you want a choke that is going to give you a pattern that you can rely on, that you know what it's going to be. You want to choke that you don't have to tighten between every single station because it loosens. You want a choke tube that you don't have to scrape plastic out of or soak in a vibratory cleaner with harsh chemicals every time you use it. You don't want a choke tube that's going to rust. You, you know, you need all these benefits, right? And that's what I created back in 2009 that I patented. So basically, 
Back in 1993, when I decided that I wanted to start sporting clays seriously, it turned out that I had to buy 10 modified chokes from a top choke manufacturer. And the reason I had to buy 10 of them is because the first two I bought that were modified patterned like a ski and a full. So when I measured them, they were both 20,000s for my bore. So you ask yourself, well, how is that possible? Well, that started me on this whole journey, right? So then I bought two more and they still didn't pattern right. And I bought two more and they didn't pattern right. So ultimately I had to buy 10 modifieds from this company. And what I learned was that they didn't pattern the same because the geometries inside the chokes varied greatly. The exit diameters were all 20,000s for my bore, which is defined as a modified, but they didn't pattern that way. So after all of that, I found out that they were out of round, eccentric, not square. They weren't cylindrical. The surface finish varied and the gasker clearance varied. When I called the owner of the choke tube company back then, and I explained to him who I was, what I did for a living, that I measured all these. And I told him that these were generally, in my opinion, scrap. I would never sell these to somebody. I asked him if I could have my money back because at the time I was living with my parents making seven bucks an hour and I spent all my money on these 10 chokes. He told me, you bought them, you own them, kid, and he hung up on me. So I'm like, wow, man, that's not cool. So I basically went in the shop the next day. I made my own and I never looked back. And that's how I ended up making my own chokes. In the process, I ended up, you know, moving forward. I ended up shooting every choke in the market, testing every one of them to see if I could find the the magic combination. And the fact was, I didn't and I couldn't. There were things that they all had limitations. They all had deficiencies. They all had issues that I was not happy with as a clay target competitor and also being a serious hunter um, and also being an aerospace defense manufacturer and a master tool maker and a metallurgist and all that fun stuff. So I was not happy with anything in the market. So I decided to make a better mousetrap and fix all the problems that not only I was having, but what everybody else was having that I heard across the country while I was competing. And um, those problems were what I mentioned. They were too heavy. They rusted. They loosened. They built up with carbon and plastic. Um, They did not pattern the way they were marked. So basically, I created the lightest, cleanest, most even patterning choke in the world. And I patented it back in 2009, which is called my Featherlight Play Target Series. And with that series, you literally never have to clean them because plastic and carbon does not stick to them. They pattern the most even in the world with the lowest shot shot deviation, which has been proven by multiple ballistics experts and independent studies, not just myself, with every ammo across the board. So what I explain to people is if you shoot crappy ammo, it's still going to pattern crappy, but it's going to pattern the best it can pattern. (laughs) Um, But if you shoot premium ammo, it's going to shine, especially at extended yardages. And when I mean shine... I mean, your score will actually go up um, because my outer fringe patterns are so reliable and predictable and consistent that you will actually hit targets that you would have missed with other choke tubes, um, apples to apples constriction. So big, big benefits. I guess this question could apply to hunting as well. I'm I'm very much a novice at the sporting clay thing, but you know, if I'm, if I'm up there and I miss, I miss. I just miss. Uh, I really don't know what I am looking for. 
whenever you're shooting out of clay and you and you're missing more than you think you should, what are some indicators that you might need to change your choke or change up something a little bit? Does that make any sense? It, it does. So so basically, it, let's say so so I've seen people some really top shooters with a certain choke in their gun that's that's not mine, and I would stand behind them and watch them shoot, and they would be right on that target, and they didn't hit the target. And that was because of deficiency in the choke pattern, okay? It's not because they didn't have the right constriction in their gun. It was because the choke doesn't provide the constriction they believe they're getting. Hence, it's not patterning in a way it's marked, right? Which most of them don't, sadly. Only about 20% do, which is pretty mind-blowing, but it's the honest-to-goodness truth, right? And then take into consideration different ammo velocities, payloads, pellet size, quality. It's huge, right? It's not just about choke, okay? But choke is the biggest defining factor because it's the last thing that touches your shot column before it enters the air. So choke is critically important regardless of what people will tell you. A lot of people will say choke doesn't matter. If you're on it, it'll break. That's the biggest falsified lie that you could ever imagine. I have seen thousands of targets where you were right on and it did not break because the pattern was inefficient. So that's not true. If you're on the target, it may not break because of your choke. At the same time, you could be shooting a pattern that's much too tight and you're also missing a lot of targets because you're handicapping yourself. So the way that you figure all this out is by patterning the choke and load and gun you're using at the distance you intend to use it at. So we wouldn't pattern a cylinder choke at 65 yards, so don't pattern a full choke at 20, okay? So basically pattern a choke and load that you intend to use it at, uh, at the distance you intend to use it at. Um, With that said, okay, we've got a handful of professionals that are incredible shooters, you know, the Tiger Woods of sporting clays, right? So we've got a lot of those people out there. There's not a lot of them, but there's a good group of them. And those people, both men and women, are shooting a tighter choke than most people would choose to shoot. And the reason they're doing that is because they can, okay? They are making their wins and making up the lost targets on far targets that are extremely technical and difficult for most people to even hit. But that's where they're separating their scores. They call them tiebreakers or tiebreaker stations. They're the ones where the top shooters are going to possibly miss a target or two, which is going to separate them at the podium. These people can afford to shoot a much tighter pattern because the targets that are at 30 yards, 20 yards, they're not going to (laughs) miss. Okay. Not normally. I have seen them miss those targets and that's sort of the ones that they lose on. But the fact is they normally don't miss those close targets. They make up their wins on the far technical targets. So they get away with a tighter choke than normal. But for our, us you know, mere mortals and us humans that are out there, <laughs> which basically compromise, I mean, um, total up to about 95% of clay target enthusiasts, we benefit from the proper pattern, meaning approximately 30 to 34 inch pattern at the given distance we're trying to break the target at. If you're shooting smaller than 34 inches, basically you're handicapping yourself more than what you could be. And if you're shooting bigger than 34 inches, you could be handicapping yourself by getting a fly through where you don't hit the target 
even though you're on it. So ultimately, my opinion is that you should be shooting a 30 to 34 inch pattern, you know, somewhere. I know that's pretty small as far as a, a tolerance, right? But I like a 30 inch pattern where I'm breaking the target at. And that's ultimately you, with a with a target load, with the amount of pellets that are in that load, you're never going to get a fly through. So what I'm really hearing you say to kind of go back to Butch's question is that pretty much all the sporting clays misses I've had up to this point have been probably the gun. Not couldn't have been me. I mean, there's Definitely no way I had anything yeah. to do with it. It was it was the gun, the choke, uh, probably the ammunition. Lots Definitely. of things that Definitely didn't have choke. anything to do with me, for sure. Yeah, how could it ever be us? Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's good to hear. I mean, so if you're having more misses than you want, you need to go pattern your gun. And you need to make sure it's not a choke issue uh, it, it, because it may not. It may be. It may be that. You may be on the bird or on the clay. You know, you may be doing things right form-wise and your gun's not patterning correctly. And, and I've seen that, too. I've got a lot more experience, you know, patterning with with turkey loads but you know you'll shoot you'll shoot that that shell and it's all of a sudden it's like you know i know i was on the target so it wasn't a point of aim point of impact thing it's just i got more spread on the right side of the target than i do on the left side of the target so i've definitely seen that firsthand uh when you when you talk about sporting clays though what are some of the mistakes you're seeing those shooters make when they're choosing their chokes so you're talking about being able to switch their chokes out what are some of the mistakes they're making so the biggest mistake people are making is they're changing chokes and they've never even patterned them so they don't know what they're changing and what i mean by that is like i said a little while ago is you don't know what pattern you're getting out of that choke for that gun based on just how it's marked so the the a good example of this one time and this has happened multiple times but this time that i had somebody that was changing chokes every single station and he had like a case of chokes, like it, he was dropping chokes. He had so many chokes <laughs> and and he wasn't doing very well. He was struggling. He was stressed out. He was flabbergasted. He was literally sweating. He was nervous. And so, you know, at the end of the shoot, I said, why are you changing chokes? And he said, so I get the biggest benefit. You know, if the target's close, I want to shoot a skeet. If it's sort of, you know, in the middle, I want to shoot a light mod. If it's really far, I'm going to shoot a modified. And I said, okay. I said, but have you patterned those chokes? He said, no. He said, why should I? And I, you know, I said to myself, you're right. Why should you? Because they should pattern the way they're marked. But sadly, they don't. And when I told him that, he, he was like, you know, why is that? Why would they not pattern the way they're marked? Why would somebody do that? And I said, because there's all these different variables, right? There's gun, there's bore diameter, there's ammo, there's tolerances in the choke, there's geometries in the choke. And he just looked at me like I had lobsters <laughs> coming out of my ears, which I probably did, right? So basically I said, listen, let's just go to the patterning board right now so I can show you what I mean. So we went to the patterning board and we went and shot all 15 constrictions of his chokes, 15. And none of them patterned as they were marked. His light modified pattern tighter than his freaking full choke. His modified was more open than his IC. I mean, it was a disaster. You, and then you, blew, shooting, you blew that poor guy's mind. Oh, it was horrible. The guy, the guy was so confused. So, yeah. so he had negative chokes. Negative chokes are a scam. I mean, anything bigger than your bore is, does nothing other than covers the threads in your barrel, right? So, so I'm like, man, so that was a big eye-opening thing for him. But the reason I bring that point up is many, many, many people out there are doing the same thing. 
So they're basically shooting all these different chokes. They're changing chokes in, in the station, even people that maybe aren't changing as much. The problem is they're changing to something that they don't know what they're getting. Just because it's marked modified doesn't mean it's modified. It could be a skeet pattern. It could be an extra full pattern. I'll give you a quick example here. Take a very common gun in sporting clays. Let's take a mobile choked gun like a Beretta or Benelli, right? Or a Cryo Plus Benelli, which is very common in the SBE3s, SBE2, Montefeltro's, um, whatever. Those guns with no choke in them at all because it's a 719 to a 722 bore, those guns are shooting like a modified pattern with no choke in the gun at all. But if you take a Browning Invector Plus or a Winchester SX3 or 4, you take the choke out of that gun or an or a Invector DFs like a Browning 725 or A5, you take the choke out of that gun and shoot at the same distance at the same paper, it's going to cover a six-foot sheet of paper where the other gun was like a 30-inch circle. Wow. With no choke in the gun at all. So tell me how you can put 10,000s in both guns and say it's improved cylinder. You can't. Right. It's a lie. Right. It's not real. May not, maybe not a lie. It's just that people don't know, right? Even the choke companies, maybe they don't know this. I do. I did it. So they're, they're falsifying information because they're marking it as an improved cylinder choke, but it's really not. So what I tell people is go take your gun, your choke, and your ammo. Go pattern it at the distance you intend to use it at. And then on the choke with a Sharpie marker, write down what you want it for. Like write the distance on it or write what a pattern is. You know, your M may become an I, you know? Right. You know, so what I created when I invented my chokes, I knew all this was happening. So I fixed that. So what I did was I created what's called gun-specific patterning geometry. I changed every single geometry in the choke for every single gun based on how that gun patterns the best, the most efficiently with the best benefit to the end user. And then I marked them U0, U1, U2, U3, U4. In the beginning, I started with one, two, and three for close, medium, and far. But then I got into people that were shooting a lot of skeet. And then I also got into a lot of people that were shooting, you know, uh, Bunker Trap, and Healy's ZZ Bird. They were also shooting Doc Adams, Annie Oakley, Wipe Your Eye. They were shooting games where they needed something more open because it was inside 25 yards, or they needed something that was even tighter than my U3, which was my FAR at the time. They needed something that was beyond 60 yards. So then I came out with the U0 and the U4, okay? So theoretically, I have five constrictions for clay target sports, Zero, one, two, three, four, which is five constrictions. The other choke companies out there that have up to 15 constrictions, um, basically it's very confusing. And because they don't shoot the way they're marked, it's really useless in my opinion. So I've simplified things. I've done the homework for everybody with their gun, not only my gun, but every gun out there, I've done the homework for you. I've given you the most even patterns capable for that gun, um, regardless of your ammo choice. And like I said, if you're shooting inside 25 yards, it doesn't really matter what ammo you're using. But if you start to break that 35 yard mark, certainly 40 and 50 yards and beyond, it becomes a different world and you need premium ammo to be consistent at those distances. Um, so, So that's something that I think a lot of people have made the mistake in, in sporting clays, 
they change chokes. They don't even know what they're changing because they haven't tested it. I've fixed that with my chokes, but if they're not shooting my chokes, they really need to test that because they're not getting what they think they're getting. Same thing with ammo, you know, um, test the ammo you're shooting because a lot of top quality ammo out there is not top quality components. And if you simply take a knife and you cut them open and you dump the pellets out and you look at them, you're going to see that very quickly. You're going to see what you're paying for and what you're actually getting are not the same thing. Mm. So these are things that you need to do on your own. I could sit there and list them off and tell you, but I wouldn't do that because I don't want to bash companies. I would rather you saw it for yourself. Um, When I come out with my book, however, on shotgunning, ballistics, myth busting, tips and tricks, I will be voicing that very clearly so everybody does know. You know, Jim, when we had you on talking about turkey chokes, it's, it's kind of, you can look for these rules of thumb. You know, you always see the 10 inch circle at 40 yards, you know, is kind of what the holy grail. Everybody says, well, how many pellets do you have? Well, how many pellets do you have? You know, like, I got more, I win. When it comes to sport and clays, you, you were talking about the need for folks to really pattern what they're shooting to be able to understand why or what they're changing to. You've simplified that into five constrictions. So we, we know we got a 20% chance of getting it right, just right off the bat. But what are you looking for? Because when you set these chokes up to be consistent for certain manufacturers, you know, what were you looking for? Were you basing it off of, you know, those stand, whatever standards there were for say the modified choke, or how did you balance, you know, the need for standardization and the need for folks to say, all right, I'm shooting at something inside of 20 yards. What kind of pattern do I even want? I wanted the best margin. I wanted the largest margin of error that I could possibly have because I'm shooting a moving target. That's the reason we're using a scatter gun, right? A shotgun. We're not shooting a rifle because we want margin of error. And I wanted not only the largest margin of error, but that same largest margin of error, I wanted to make sure that I would never, ever have a fly through with that same large pattern. So the only way that you could do that is by shooting targets and also by pattern testing. However, pattern testing on paper is only two-dimensional. It does not show you everything. It does not show you shot string. It does not really show you consistency within the shot string. It only shows you every single pellet that's in the shell strikes the paper, and that's all it tells you, right? Yes, small looks tight, big looks open, but even with that, it's sort of misleading because if you take some patterns that look very tight on paper and you shoot them at water, they may be spread out very big because it's a very long shot string. However, if you take a pattern that looks big on paper, you shoot on water, it could look very dense like a pancake because it's a very even shot string or a very short shot string. So there's a lot of technicalities that go into a pattern that people don't even know about. What does that all mean to a shooter? Shot string length, pattern efficiency, shot to shot deviation. Well, without getting too confused or worried about it, the fact is I've done that homework and I've created that wheel for you in your gun. So when you put a Muller choke in your gun, you know you've already got the biggest advantage possible. Now, how do you decide what's best for you? Here's a trick that I've done that I think is eye-opening to anybody and it's fun to do. Basically, take the chokes, take the ammo and take your gun. And go out to some place where you could take a clay target and sit it on a sandbank or even on the ground 
or go someplace that has a teal target that goes straight up in the air on a calm day where it goes pretty much straight up and straight down. Okay. And you can shoot it at different distances. This is another eye opening way. So basically put the choke in that you think you're going to use. I like to go through every single choke to see what each one will do. And that takes time. Basically put a target on the ground and start at a given distance. Let's say for an example, I'm going to start at 30 yards and I'm going to put my U2 in, or I'm going to put a competitor's light modified in, right? Sort of apples to apples. And I'm going to aim right at that target. I'm going to shoot it and it should break pretty darn hard and consistent. Now what I'm going to do is I'm going to aim a half an inch to the left of it and I'm going to shoot. I'm going to aim an inch to the left of it and I'm going to shoot inch and a half, two inches, two and a half, three inches. And I'm going to do that on both sides of the target. I'm going to do it under the target. I'm going to do it over the top of the target. And I'm going to see when does that target stop breaking consistently? How far away could I get from the target without it breaking? Okay. And then I'm going to change chokes and I'm going to repeat the process. And what that's going to tell me is how much deviation and margin of error do I actually have? Not what's on paper, not what people tell me, not what people advertise or market, but what is reality? And this is going to show you point blank, what type of margin of error do I actually have? And then I'm going to do it on that flying teal target if I can. I'm going to shoot at the apex. I'm going to shoot right at the bottom of it. I'm going to break it. I'm going to move a foot left. I'm going to shoot it. Does it break or does it not break? How hard does it break? How many times out of 10 does it break? I'm going to move to two feet. I'm going to move to three feet, whatever it takes. And I'm going to do that with every single constriction choke I have with the ammo I shoot with that gun. And that little bit of that little trick or that little procedure is going to give you eye-opening results, things that you've never even imagined before. It's also going to teach you an awful lot. I love that because I think about, you know, back to just hunting scenarios and and sporting clay scenarios where I felt like I was on the clay and it just... Like, golly, how did I miss that thing? Nothing, you know? Totally agree, yeah. And then I I think of other times where, you know, I shoot and obviously I hit it with like one pellet you know, because yeah. it, it just cuts a little piece off or something. Yep. And then I think of times where I, I shoot and the, and the thing evaporates and I'm like, I didn't feel like I was really, I didn't feel that good, but I got it. Okay. I'll take it. And you know, yep. it's, it is, it would be very eye opening. And you think about it from a hunting scenario. Well, you know what you got. Yeah. Well, if, if, if the duck falls, then you don't think too much about it. You're like, yeah, I killed him. You know? <laughs> so right. maybe you were on him and maybe you weren't, maybe you were, yep but you don't really know until you get out there and shoot what you're shooting uh, and, and test it in some different ways. And I really like that because I've always just thought about the patterning idea. board mm-hmm. and I could really see that telling you a lot about your it, setup. And so, it does. Yep. you know, taking it back to what you said, it sounds like what you're looking for again is you want to give as much forgiveness as possible without getting too big because i mean yeah if you shoot it yep. super wide there's a chance you'll hit what you're but there's also a chance that that you know that clay or that bird will fly right through and and not find the golden bb so yeah i, I like that a lot um what other tips do you have for folks that are you know shooting sporting clays and and they're wanting to increase their performance uh you know whether it comes to chokes, uh, choke selection, or or otherwise. So, so that's a great question. So, basically, choke selection, basically like we just talked about, you know, choose choose whatever choke that makes you feel good, right? 
um, and, and do the sort of the routine that I just talked about. So you can really see what you're getting. Okay. And then the other thing that's really important to know is how many times do we come up to a target, whether we're beginners or whether we're, we're seasoned pretty much experts, right? We come up to a target and we shoot it and it doesn't break. And we shoot it again, it doesn't break. And we shoot it 10, 20 times, it doesn't break. And we're like, I'm done. And you walk away. Well, the problem is that target, you don't know how to hit it. And what's going to happen is the next time you come up against a target that even resembles that target in competition, you've already lost because you're going to freak out when you see it. You're going to be like, oh, my God, I can't hit that. I, I missed that thing 20 times in practice. What am I going to do? You've already got a zero on your scorecard. All right. It's all mental. Mm-hmm. And the reason you didn't hit it is because you did the same exact thing every time you missed it. All right. Because if you didn't do the same thing every time for 20 times, chances are you would have hit it. So what I try to teach people, whether they're my students, when I'm giving instruction or whether I'm doing it myself, basically what I'll do is if I come across a target that I struggle with, that's the target I'm going to practice on. I'm not going to practice on feel good targets where I could smoke 10 of them in a row. I've already got that in my Kodak moments on my onboard computer. I know how to break it. I don't need to practice that. I will still practice once in a while so I don't forget, but I don't need to focus on it. What I'm going to focus on is targets that I struggle with. And what I do is if there's a target that I literally cannot find, I cannot hit, I basically follow the target like I'm shooting it with a rifle. I shoot right at it. And guess what? If I miss, I'm going to be behind it, right? I can't be in front of it. So I know I'm behind it. Next shot, I give it a foot. Next shot, I give it two feet. Next shot, three feet. Next shot, four feet until it breaks. And then I'm going to be like, oh, my gosh, I thought it only needed two feet of lead. I needed six. Or I thought I needed six and I only needed one. I totally misread the distance or the speed. So by going through these little routines and these little things, you can really reduce your time of learning and and really figure out what you're doing wrong. Like you'll learn things about yourself. So like myself, I know about myself that if I miss a target, I missed in front. It's just me. It's how I shoot. It doesn't matter if targets at 10 yards or a hundred yards. If I missed, I probably missed in front. (laughs) So it's just what I know about me through all the shooting. So if I miss, I cut my lead in half. I don't double it. Most people need to double or triple their lead. Most people miss behind. So most people, when they miss, they need to double or triple or quadruple their lead in order to hit the target. Okay, me, I need to cut my lead in half. All right. So when we miss a target with a shotgun, if we're shooting the right size pattern at the target we're shooting, let's say 30 inches, let's say 24 to 30 inch effective pattern. So we'll call it two feet just for argument's sake. Every time that you miss a target, you've missed by a minimum of two feet, right? So the next shot, you need to move your, you need to adjust your lead or your sight picture by a minimum of two feet to even have a chance of hitting the target. But what we do is we we micromanage every time we miss, we may increase our lead by an inch hmm. or two inches. We, we only miss, we only move by inches. We don't move by feet. 
And that's our dilemma. So when you miss a target, you've missed by a couple feet. The next time you shoot, you need to increase or decrease your lead by at least two feet to make a difference. And that two feet is really more than two feet. It's more like three feet. Because if you're shooting, let's say you're shooting a duck. A duck is 18 inches long. Your pattern's 30 inches. You missed. Guess what? You missed by five feet, man. (laughs) So don't pull a trigger in the same spot again because you're going to miss again. So you got to move your next lead by five feet to make a difference. So that's the way you need to start to think when you're shooting a shotgun. When you are doing this process and and I'm picking up what you're putting down, you know, if you, if you're holding dead on the clay and you shoot and you miss, obviously you're behind it. And then you're thinking, okay, I need to lead this, this clay another two feet to see what's going to happen Yep. at your eye. Is that two feet with your eye or is that two feet at the clay? So, I mean, yeah. are you actually kind of, does that making sense to you? Cause that's one thing I've always struggled with. Somebody say, man, I'm whole, I'm leading that bird five feet and I'm going, well, what does that look like to you looking down the barrel of the gun? So here's the hardest part about that with the biggest argument all over the world, right? So you've got so many different things involved with that. So if you're pulling the target along, I like to define it as pulling the target along with the muzzle on a string, okay, which would be defined as a sustained lead. So if you're doing the same speed as the target, the muzzle of the barrel is moving the same speed as the target, and your barrel is in front of the target, and you're pulling the target along on a string like it's connected to the barrel, and you pull a trigger, that can be seen, it can be felt, it can be repeated, it can be changed, okay? So if you're pulling the target along on a string and you're shooting right at the front edge, you're matching the speed. You didn't stop the gun when you pulled the trigger. You, did a, you didn't lift your head. You did everything right, and you shot. You know you missed behind if it didn't break because it's the only place you could be, right? It's like throwing a football to a you know, a running back. You can't throw it where he is. You got to throw it where he's going to be when the ball gets there. So you got to shoot where the target's going to be, not where it's been. So if you shoot right at the target and you miss, you shot behind it. If you shoot two feet in front of it and you missed again, you're still behind it. If you shoot three or four feet in front of it, you missed again, you're still behind it, right? So it's just common sense, but it's a common sense that nobody ever talks about unless you've got a really good coach behind you teaching you. But when we start out or we're just shooting with our buddies, nobody teaches us this. So we just keep shooting and missing. We don't know why. Well, the reason is because you're not where the target is. So you need to change it to where it is. And from my experience, most shooters miss behind. And, and a lot over the top. So what we want to do is change that repeatedness, right? You want, you want to change something because if you don't change, nothing will change, right? So, so if you do that little routine that I talked about, give it a little more, give it a little more, give it a little more until it breaks, you're going to find how much it requires. Now, the catch-22 with all that is like I was explaining – If you're not pulling the target along on a controlled string or with a slight pull-away lead where you're starting in front of the target or at the target and pulling away from it slowly and pulling the trigger when it feels and looks right, then you don't have any control over the target. And what I always tell people is if the target passes the muzzle of the gun, the target is in control of you. You are not in control of the target. And what happens is if target goes past your gun, what happens? Your brain starts screaming, catch it, catch it, pull a trigger. 
So what we have to do is we have to accelerate the gun faster than the target to catch it. And what happens is we are out of control. We're not in sync with the target. Mm. The target looks small. It looks fast. We're freaking out. We don't know where we're pulling the trigger. The target sometimes breaks because we're lucky. Sometimes the target doesn't break because we don't know where we're at. You cannot have consistency like that. You cannot break 10 targets in a row like that. So the more you slow down, the more the slower you move, the slow, the more you focus on the target, the more the target will slow down and the bigger the target will look. And one thing that's important to know is your eyes will always go to the fastest moving thing. So if your muzzle, if your barrel is moving faster than the target, your eyes are going to naturally go to your barrel, not stay on the target. So keep the barrel out of the way of the target, keep it below the flight path of the target, control the target from the front at all times. Don't let the target pass your gun in most instances and burn the pain off the target with your eyes. And that target's going to slow down. It's going to look bigger. You know, I, I give an example to people. If you were standing on the side of the highway and you were just looking across the lane, staring at a fixed object like a guardrail or a a street light, right? And all the cars were going by at 60 miles an hour. You would maybe be able to tell what colors the cars were, but you wouldn't be able to tell what kind of car it was. You wouldn't be able to tell how many people were in the car because you've got soft focus on the car. But if you were to change your focus and you were to look at the license plate on the vehicle and try to read the license plate, you would be able to tell what make, what model, what color, how many doors the car had, what kind of tires it had on it, how many people are in the car, you would be able to tell all that just by changing your focus. So that's the same exact thing with a clay target or with a live bird. If you kill a target with your eyes before the gun comes into play, your chances are going to go through the roof that you're going to actually connect with the target. If you don't kill a bird with your eyes before the gun comes into play, chances are you're going to be out of control. You're not going to be in sync with the target and you're going to miss or you're going to be inconsistent at best. So Jim, what other tips do you have for for trying to get the best best choke for their setup? I mean, is there, you know, you've mentioned metallurgy and, you, you know, is there anything to, you know, ported chokes and extended chokes and, and the type of materials they're made out of? So basically that that's another topic we could talk literally days about. So in a nutshell, let's talk about ported chokes, right? Because this is something that people don't really know the truth of, and it's really important because there's serious deficiencies um, that people aren't aware of. So the reason that I don't make a ported choke is not because I can't. I've made every style of porting you can imagine when I tested chokes and I've done really crazy things on the internals of chokes that I won't even discuss, but I, I've put all sorts of things in chokes and, and tested everything you can imagine stuff that people would laugh at. I laughed at, but I wanted to see what it would do. Basically choke manufacturers will tell people that porting does two things. It reduces muzzle jump and it reduces felt recoil. Those are both faults. They're outright lies. So basically the recoil happens before it gets to the choke. So how can porting reduce felt recoil? Okay, that's number one. Number two, in order to force the muzzle downward, you have to force gases upward. So if you have porting that's facing upward and you shoot a magnum load and the gas is escaping, escaping upward, force the muzzle downward like Murphy's Law, right? For every action, there's an opposite and equal reaction. That's fine. 
but how can something ported 360 degrees direct gases upward to force the barrel down? It can't. It's a flash suppressor. Okay, so that's a lie. It doesn't reduce your muzzle jump. The other thing is what people don't realize when they buy a ported choke is number one, it becomes filthy dirty with plastic and carbon buildup. Okay, which affects your pattern from when it's clean to when it's dirty. Number two, it muzzle blasts your buddies and your dog in the blind. And number three, if you're shooting in low light, which we all do as hunters, like right during sunrise or a half hour before sunrise or a half hour before sunset, when you shoot a ported choke, it blinds you on the first shot. Okay. Not something I want. <laughs> you know, right. it, it's like shooting a two ounce load at 1300 feet per second. You know, your equilibrium gets rocked so bad. It takes you a lot longer than you think for that follow-up shot to figure out what the heck is even going on, yeah, you man. know? So when you get blinded by muzzle flash on your first shot, what are we doing? You're toast. You know, especially if you're, if you're shooting a fast moving duck flying um, or a fast moving sporting clay target, or it, it's happened to me. I've been there. I've done it. So basically the reason that choke companies purporting on chokes is number one, it's got the fishing lure effect. It looks really cool, so we buy it. Um, number two, it reduces the weight of the choke considerably, so it doesn't feel like a decoy anchor on the end of your over and under, so you'll still buy it. And number three, they could change the shape or the number of holds in the porting, and next year sell you new and improved chokes so they get your money again. So those are the three reasons choke companies port chokes. The fourth reason could be because they don't know any better. They just follow the leader and think that it's cool or works because other companies said it does. And yeah, they don't like, even know for themselves. So well, it does nothing good. It actually, the gases escape around your shot column inconsistently every time. Because again, we're shooting multi-projectile, not a slug. The outside, your outer fringe ends up being affected more than the inner fringe. So you end up with a hotter cord pattern with a ported choke than a non-ported choke. So you end up with a much higher shot shot deviation because of the porting. Um, some chokes, ammo companies even tell you not to use because bad things can happen. Um, I won't get into all that, but it's out there if you Google it and it's truth. So porting does nothing good. Um, oh, and one other very critical thing, if you look on Facebook or Google it, you'll see Porting creates a weak, a weak link. Um, porting creates a break spot. So you'll see a lot of chokes out there that are ported that are breaking using regular ammo, sometimes even lead tur target loads or lead turkey loads, never mind big steel shot or tungsten. But chokes are out there breaking a lot, and it's because of the porting. It's a weak link. So I would never, ever put a ported choke in my gun. Therefore, I would never make one and sell it to you. Understood. Great things to know. Uh, yep. Talking about that, talking about that ported choke breaking, what are some things as far as materials go that people should look for? So basically, there's a lot of different material, not a lot of different materials, but my featherlight chokes are made out of a aerospace aluminum, which is why they're half the weight of titanium and they're patented as the lightest choke in the world. They're infused with a military ceramic, which makes it the hardest choke in the world because they're 62 Rockwell. You cannot cut it with a file. It's It feels like carbide when you hit it with a file. And it's cleanest choke in the world because it has a very low coefficient of friction thanks to that ceramic. So it's like a nonstick frying pan. So nothing can stick to it. No plastic, no carbon. Most chokes after 200 rounds, you got to scrape plastic out of them and put them in an ultrasonic cleaner to get the carbon off them. My Featherlight Target Series, you'd shoot 2,000 rounds out of them, put a paper towel through them, and they're like they're brand new. Okay. 
So at the same time, you can't shoot big steel shot through it because the substrate is still aluminum and it will tighten in your barrel. It'll expand, which is why I had to come out with something for duck hunting and goose hunting and big game hunting and three gun competition where they shoot slugs and buckshot. So with that said, most of the chokes that are out there for hunting um, and even clay target are either titanium or 17-4 stainless steel. Some chokes are made out of carbon steel and hardened. Um, some chokes are made out of 303 stainless steel. So quickly, we'll touch base on this, not to bore people, but one of the biggest well-known gun manufacturers in the world make their extended chokes for hunting and clay targets out of 303 stainless steel. Well, the only good thing about 303 stainless steel is that it's rust proof. That's the only good thing about a 303 stainless choke. Reason being, it's a soft metal or a soft alloy, let's call it. And because you can't harden a 300 series stainless steel, it's soft. And you shoot one load of steel through it and you're going to swage the threads right into the barrel and never get it out. Why that company ever did that is beyond me because they know better. Moving to titanium. Titanium is a very lightweight, very strong material, talking tensile strength-wise, which is why aerospace uses it. It's very rigid. It's very lightweight. It's very corrosion-resistant. All good things. The problem in a firearm, it's not good for a choke tube because it's so rigid. It deforms pellets. It squeezes them without any type of forgiveness. And it creates very hot core patterns. It's very filthy, dirty material because it's a very malleable, sticky material. You get a lot of plastic uh, plastic buildup with a lot of powder, um, carbon residue. So titanium is a very, very expensive material. Um, it's very expensive to machine because you need special tooling with special coolants. Titanium chokes are not expensive because they're good. They're expensive because they're expensive to make. Okay, something people need to be aware of. I would never put in my gun. I created the first titanium choke five years before the big German company came out with it. It's the worst patterning choke in the world, and it's the dirtiest, and it's the most expensive to make. I wouldn't put in my gun. I would never make it put in your gun. Next would be carbon steel chokes. Um, they're very inexpensive to manufacture. The material is dirt cheap. They machine like butter. You harden them afterwards, and then you sell them to people. Problem is they crack because they're too hard. They don't anneal them properly because they don't want to spend the money to do it, and they rust like a sieve. So even if you got it in your barrel and it's just a nice humid day out, not even raining out, you're going to get rust. The choke's going to rust, and then it's going to rust your barrel, and then you got a problem, all right, if not multiple problems. So I would never put a carbon hardened choke in my gun. Um, there's a big choke company out there that – a lot of people buy for duck hunting and goose hunting and turkey hunting. Um, one of their long range chokes, if not multiple, um, they even market it. They make it out of a certain type of tool steel and they harden it to like ridiculous hardness. The problem is they're breaking all over the place. It's because they didn't think about that. They just thought that if it was really hard, it would be really good. Well, good for wear, but not good for tensile strength because they break. Okay, so so these are things that are happening out there. I make my chokes out of 17.4 mil spec stainless steel. And the reason that I chose that over other materials is because when I machine it in the annealed state and then I harden it to H900 series, which is the hardest you can do 17.4, the tensile strength goes through the roof. 
it will not expand inside your barrel if you shove big steel BB through it or even buckshot. And it's very rust resistant because it has a very high chromium and nickel content. And because it's as hard as it is, you don't have to worry about it moving, cracking, breaking, rusting. And plus all my chokes are Cerakoted, so they're not going to rust as well. Um, so it's just a really good material to use. Um, most companies out there, they use 17.4. Um, to their benefit as the manufacturer, they preheat treat them to like H1025 or H1125. And what that does is makes the grain structure very nice so they can machine it like butter, give you a nice surface finish. They can machine it very easily with normal tooling and spit them out of screw machines like popcorn. And then they take that choke, they mark it, and they sell it to you. And then you put it in your gun and you find out you can't shoot steel BBs through it or you can't shoot this through it. They all have limitations. Um, and that's because they're soft. Your barrels and your shotguns are about 42 Rockwell. Um, they're made out of mostly 4130 tool steel, approved for steel shop because they're hardened. Unlike the old like Winchester Model 12, they weren't hardened. They were made out of a high chromium molybdenum steel, but they're not hard. They're just tough. That's why you can't shoot steel shot through them because they will move. So my chokes are 46 Rockwell hardness. They're harder than your barrels. So if you're not going to damage your barrel, you're not going to damage my choke. Um, most of the chokes out there in the market, they're preheat treated to 1125. They're like 32 Rockwell, which is the same hardness as the annealed state. Um, the reason they do that, again, is for ease of machining, not for a superior product for the end user. So I struggle machining mine in the annealed state so I could harden them afterwards to give the end user a superior product. Jim, you know what I love about listening to you describe all this is like, I know based on everything you're saying that you've done the work you've gone through right. and done <laughs> the testing. Done that. And yeah. you know, like at the end of the day, most of the time if I'm jumping into duck blind or I'm going to hit the Turkey woods or I'm going to sport and clays course or whatever it is. I really just want somebody to tell me what choke should I use? What's going to work you know? best. That's right. <laughs> What's going to be the best one. So Jim, taking this back, uh, what I've really heard you say is first and foremost, if you're having misses, get to the pattern and board, figure out what your gun's doing with your set of chokes. If you and I both go take the same gun and we point it at the same, you know, we aim it at the same thing on a patterning board, the gun's going to pattern the same. Doesn't matter who's behind the trigger. Uh, but my question for you is if you and I go to the sporting clays course, my form's going to be probably different than your form. Do you find that some shooters shoot better on a course at varying ranges? with a different choke? Like, is there a one size fits all choke for a guy that's shooting a clay at 20 yards or is that somewhat shooter dependent? No. So, so basically you could, you could choose your pattern based on what you like, but the fact is like we talked about pros shooting tighter chokes, beginners would be much better with a larger pattern without being too large. So basically what, I've done was I've created only the five constrictions to make it much um, easier to decide what to use, basically close, medium, and far, right? And then there's a couple others on the outside spectrum. So if you're shooting a target inside 25 yards, like American Ski, that's a U0. Ultimately, that's going to give you the best pattern possible. If you're shooting a target on edge out to approximately 35 yards, that's going to be the U1. If you're shooting a target on edge out to 45, 50 yards, that's a U2. Out to 65, a U3, and beyond 65, a U4. 
if the target's an open face like a bat to or Shondell, you could add like 10 to 15 yards to all those numbers. So, so basically, I think my biggest thing was to simplify it and make it easier for people so they could benefit the most from choke selection. You know, if, it, if it's really close, a U0. If it's normal, on which I consider a normal sporting clay target inside 35 yards, the U1 is going to be your ultimate choice. If it's a challenging target or edgy or if it fields far, the U2 is going to be your best choice for like sort of all around. If the target's insanely far, like a FITAS championship, or it's an edgy bat two at 40 yards, the U3 is going to shine. Or if you're shooting 27-yard handicap trap, a, a U3, to give you an example. If it's a target that shouldn't even be thrown or the wind's blown at your back at 30 knots and the target was supposed to be at 30 and it ends up at 70 or 80, the U4 is going to be amazing. So it just makes it very simple. Yeah. I remember that from the discussions we've had about turkey chokes and discussions we've had about waterfowl chokes, uh, what you've done with the testing of, of each manufacturer's barrel and all those variables. That is a huge benefit to the shooter, no matter what they are, are targeting. Uh, just being able to not have to lug around 15 chokes like that guy was doing. <laughs> no doubt. <laughs> it's a big well, benefit. If I could touch on one thing on that same exact thing. So not carrying around a bunch of chokes is obviously valuable, not only for your pocket, but also for your mind, right? Because the less we think about, the more we can focus on the target, which is the most important thing. So if you have the right choke in the gun, you don't have to think about that. You just put it in the gun. You put your ammo in the gun, you focus on the target, your pre-shot routine, your plan, and you initiate it, you know, and you and you do it. But one quick thing that could help a lot of people also is the whole thing of ammo choice, right? So if you're shooting a 100-round sporting clay course, you need five boxes of shells to get through that course because it could be broken targets. You have, you have to repeat a pair, so you can't go out there with 100 shells because you will run out of shells. So five boxes, right? Well, that's great if you're shooting one shot size, but what if you're shooting two shot sizes or three shot sizes because you think it's going to benefit you? You're shooting number nines, eights, and seven and a halves. Well, now you've got to carry like 15 boxes of shells mm -hmm. because you don't know if they're all going to be close or they're all going to be medium or they're all going to be far or they're all going to be edgy. So you have to carry extra ammo just to make up for the variation of target, right? Because any pro will tell you an eight will break almost everything. The problem in that sentence is the word almost. A number eight will not break everything. A seven and a half will. That's why I shoot seven and a halves at everything in competition, because I don't want to carry extra shells. And I certainly don't want to think and more or less, more than anything, I don't want to argue with my own brain in my head saying, hmm, should I shoot a seven and a half or should I shoot an eight? Because the moment you do that, you're already not focusing on your pre-shot routine or your target. You're focusing on something that's meaningless that is taking, that's making you distracted, and it's going to equal zeros on your scorecard in the end. In the end, you will gain more targets by shooting the choke that you know is correct, shooting one ammo that you know you're good with, and focusing on target and your pre-shot and your final shot. That's it. That's where you're going to gain targets, not by carrying three different shot sizes, 
two different velocities, shooting the fast load for far targets, which, by the way, is the opposite of what you should be doing, um, shooting, you know, all these different things. It's way too much confusion. And the same thing happens with choke tubes. I love that. Keep your choke tubes simple. Yeah. You got to have confidence. That's that's a yep. huge that's a huge yep. point, man. If How you, many times you have, have to we brought know what that you up? have. Yeah. Absolutely. Yep. And the way you gain confidence is through experimenting, through trial and error. Knowing, knowing what you have. That, that, exactly. That, that what you were just saying earlier about, you know, putting that clay out there and shooting a little bit this way of it, making sure yep. it breaks. That confidence has got to be, uh, that, that, that personally has blown my mind. I think that's going to change my, my shooting for sure. You're going to yeah. learn a lot because, listen, it, the worst thing you want to have is a pattern that's too big and shoot through, have a target do a shoot through, right? So you don't want to have a fly through in your pattern because, like I explained, when we miss, we miss by two feet, right? Right. So if I miss a target, what's the first thing I'm going to do? I'm going to change my lead by a couple feet mm -hmm. to try to connect with it. Well, what happened if that target was a fly through and I was right on on the first time? Well, guess what? I'm never going to hit a target because now I'm changing my lead every single time trying to find it. Well, I was on it the first shot, but now I'm way off of it because I think I was off it. So it's always better to shoot a tighter choke and a tighter pattern than a more open pattern if you don't know, right? Because at least that sure. way, if you are on it, will break. But the problem with that is we're also handicapping ourselves on the opposite end of the spectrum because most targets we shoot are inside 35 yards and they only require a U0 or a U1 or at most a U2. And I have so many of my customers that, you know, oh, put a U2 in and forget about it. Well, that's sort of good advice, except for the fact that you're handicapping yourself on 90% of your targets when you shouldn't be because you're shooting tighter and you need to be. And that's why I tell people, please go out with a U1 or if you're not shooting my chokes, go out with a ski choke or an improved cylinder and do sort of the routine that I was saying. Shoot targets that are way beyond what you think they should be and see what it can do on a target that you know you can control and break consistently. Don't go do it on a target you can't hit because obviously you're not going to learn anything, right? Right. So if you have a target that's at a certain distance that you can break 10 times in a row confidently, then at that same target, go ahead and start playing around with your chokes and see what the limitations are. We don't want to shoot a choke that's way tighter and way smaller of a pattern than we need to because we are going to miss targets. We don't want to shoot a choke tube that's giving us pattern that's bigger and we need that bigger than it should be because then we may suffer with a fly through, which is also a very bad thing. So you need to know what you're doing. And in order to know what you're doing, you need to know what your pattern is providing. Yeah, that's the key. You know, to change a variable, you have to keep all the you other variables the same. And so right. if you know what your gun is doing with every choke and you have a miss, you're the problem. Yep. Because if you pad the right choke in and you missed, it wasn't the gun, it wasn't the shell, it wasn't the choke, it was you. And so now yep. you can make a change. But like you said, if you have a fly through and it's because you had the wrong choke in because you didn't even know what your choke was doing, you're going, maybe it's me. And you're changing yep. your form and you shouldn't be. You were fine. You were just right. Yep. You need a different choke or you need a different shell, whatever it may be. But if I'm understanding you correctly, to prevent those fly throughs and to know you're on whenever you're on, having that perfect pattern is going to prevent that, correct? That's correct. And and that's what my low deviation shot to shot patterns provide. The biggest margin of error 
with the most even pellet distribution, which translates to the biggest margin of error and also translates to being able to break a target further than before with that same big pattern because the target is getting hit by a lot more pellets regardless of where you are in the pattern. So we don't have to shoot a tight choke anymore because my patterns are so even. You get to shoot a much bigger pattern and never have a fly-through. Therefore, your score actually goes up. Yep, makes sense. You know, Jim, you talked about choke materials and and what you do to prevent that choke from being heavy, to prevent that choke from rusting. You talked about why you don't port chokes. But one of the things I want to take you back to, you know, the beginning of this interview, you mentioned choke tubes loosening. And this is something that I've noticed on some of my extended choke tubes is I just look down and kind of fiddle with it, you know, and all of a sudden I notice this thing's kind of a couple, you know, quarter turn unscrewed. Why is that happening? And, and what are you doing to prevent that? That's a great question. And, and that's a huge problem that plagues almost every shooter, especially, you know, hunters, we don't shoot normally as much. So our chokes may stay tighter in a hunting scenario. But when you're shooting clays, you're shooting repetitively and usually pretty quickly. So what happens is you've got a lot of things going on. You've got expansion and contraction from heat and cooling, right? But then you've got other things in play like clearance between the choke and the barrel meaning mostly the threads. And what a lot of choke companies have done, unfortunately, is they've put Acme threads on their chokes and in their barrels. Well, Acme chokes are great to take in and out quickly because Acme threads in the machining world have been created and were developed to take things in and out very quickly, but they were also created so you could loosen something very easily. And so it didn't lock up or rust shut. So the problem is with all of these guns with Acme threads in the barrel and on the choke, they are designed to loosen, okay? So yeah, you could take them in now quick, but, but the Acme thread is designed to loosen easily and quickly. So that's scenario number one. Number two is a lot of choke companies know that there's a lot of tolerance in the barrels of shotguns, especially where the choke area is, the threads, the body of the choke, the length of the choke and all that. There's also eccentricity between the barrel bore diameter and the choke area that they machine in the barrel. Some guns are much better than others, and there are some that are very poor, okay? Knowing that, it means that you need to have enough clearance at the gas skirt where it seals on the bore to make sure that you don't shoot the back of the choke, okay? Because if if they're eccentric, it's going to be like a crescent moon. Part of the choke is going to obstruct into the bore, and you're going to shoot the back of the choke, peel a choke, next shot the lead is going to go between the barrel and the choke, and you're going to bulge your barrel, or you're going to blow a choke out of the barrel, okay? So what I've done was I have taken many, many barrels from every single model gun and I've inspected them and measured them. And I've taken facsimile molds of the threads in these barrels. So then I took that facsimile mold and I put in a 20X shadow graph, 20X magnification, and I've measured them. And then I form ground and CNC surface grinders. I have formed ground and threading tools to match not the choke, but match the barrel of the guns based on the averages. Then what I did was when I make my choke tubes, I make them with very little clearance to the barrels, with very little clearance on the threads. So they may 
to the barrels with almost no clearance with very little wiggle room per se. So what that creates is much less margin of error for expansion and contraction. And it also does not allow the choke to just wobble loose from harmonics and repeated shooting. Well, Jim, one of the things I've learned from you in talking about chokes for all different purposes is that the variables matter. There's a lot of thinking and thought and consideration that goes into choosing what choke to put in your gun. No matter if you're shooting ducks or turkeys or sport and clays, that's very important. And you've done a lot of the the homework when it comes to matching them to guns, the specific manufacturers, matching them to the sport that you're you're trying to undertake. So, but specifically, one of those variables when it when it comes to sport and clays, you know, is is distance. And you know, we, we talked about this when we were talking about turkey chokes, and that's a, a lot of guys just think that. I want a tighter pattern. The further the shot is, the tighter the pattern needs to be. In sporting clays, is that always the case? So in sporting clays, it's probably not as critical as live birds because it's a clay target. You don't need as many pellets and penetration to kill it as a live bird humanely, right? But what's really critically important to a clay target, number one, it's pretty small, And number two, it doesn't take a lot of pellet strikes to break it because there's normally centrifugal force to pull it apart. So the most important part to a really good efficient pattern for a clay target is that the pellet evenness or the pellet distribution throughout the pattern is even. And when you have a very even pattern with a very low shot-to-shot deviation like Muller Chokes provide that I created, you're going to hit the target with a lot more pellets, regardless of where you are in the pattern and regardless of what distance. And what I mean by that is if you were to take a choke that shoots a very hot core pattern, your inside 20 inches would be very dense with most of your pellets in that concentrated small area. So if you're right on the target, you're going to smoke it. But the problem comes into when you're on the outer fringe of the pattern. Because most of your pa- your pellets are in that hot core because your outer fringe is very high deviation and really spread out and very inconsistent, you may, if you're lucky, get a golden BB to hit that target and take a chip off. But more times than not, you're going to dust the target or miss it completely if you're off of that 20-inch center core. Well, I fixed all that, which is why mine have the biggest margin of error, you could be way out on the outer fringe of my pattern and still get a really hard, consistent break because there's almost as many pellets outside on that outer fringe as the inside core. And what that results to, the results are you could break a target much further with that much larger pattern because you're still hitting it with more pellets because there's less space between each pellet because they're evenly spread. You know, you got these high-level shooters. Some of these shots are crazy that they're taking distance-wise and angles and whatnot. Um, I would have to think that, especially as you as you increase in distance, I mean, again, if you're looking down the rib of a shotgun and you're looking at a bead, you're not making, you know, precise aiming points at, you know, 70 yards if you're taking that shot. That's correct. Is uh, you know, you almost can't even see the target when it's that far. So there's nothing, you know, you can't aim a shotgun. You can just feel it and see it, right? So basically, you know, I'll give you an example back first time Dubai had their sporting clay championship. 
people from all over the world went there to compete for huge prizes. They gave away trucks, they gave away all sorts of things. And, you know, Gebin Miles at the time, he was a sponsored shooter of mine. He, he still to this day shoots my chokes. He went out there with nothing more than U3s. And, you know, basically my U3 is like a modified choke for all argument's sake. In his K80, it's only 22 thousandths constriction. But because of the evenness of that pattern and that U3, he had a target that was at 90 yards and he was able to run that station. He ended up winning that shoot, I believe, by like eight targets. And on that station alone, there were people putting in turkey chokes, extra full chokes, telling them, you know, you can't shoot a U3 at those targets. And he's like, yeah, I can. I'm fine. And he actually dominated that station on top of everybody else shooting those U3s. So theoretically, that U3 had no business breaking that target, but it broke it consistently at that extreme distance, which is a tribute to the evenness of the pattern, not the tightness of it, but how even and consistent it is. And that's what I've been trying to teach people how important that is. Yeah, he knew what that gun was going to do, so then he could plus. adjust. That's yeah, that's uh, that's amazing results. Well, Jim, it's been fun talking about this again. You know, I, I love talking chokes with you because it's there's a lot of questions, but you've also solved almost all of it that, that I can ask. I mean, you've got an answer for everything, and you've really done the work to to manage all these variables. If folks are looking to get into sporting clays or any of the other shotgun sports, um. How can they get to your website and, and check out your different uh, choke tube lineups for all those different purposes? Yes, yeah, so my website is MullerChokes.com. That's M-U-L-L-E-R-C-H-O-K-E-S.com. And on that website, there's charts and all sorts of descriptions about my constrictions and distances and, and the best uh, benefit of each one for you. All right, folks, we'll be right back. Y'all take a minute and check out some of the businesses that make this show free for you every episode. Uh, this week is brought to us by Great Days Outdoors magazine. If you're frustrated with typical hunting and fishing magazines and tired of reading content, then for guys that are up in the north or up in the Midwest, check out Great Days Outdoors magazine. Don't get left behind following the guidance of guys who don't fish or hunt in your home state. You can pick up a Great Days Outdoors magazine subscription and it will help you become a better Southern outdoorsman. Great Days Outdoors magazine can be found at your local Barnes & Noble, Books A Million, Tractor Supply Company, Rural King, Bass Pro Shops, or you can save online at greatdaysoutdoors.com. And also brought to you by Alabama Farmers Co-op. From backyard gardening to large-scale farming and everything in between, your local co-op has what you need to be successful. Since 1936, Alabama Farmers Cooperative has provided high-quality products and friendly service to community members and local farmers. With over 60 locations to serve you, and 85 years of experience, you can count on the co-op. For more information and to find a location near you, visit www.alafarm.com. The Hunter's Mate Lowdown Trail Cam Reviewer. Finally, a trail cam viewer that actually works. Lowdown's high-speed trail cam viewer has flipping fast technology that allows you to view images three times faster on a screen that is 60% bigger than typical 7-inch viewers. Lowdown is a dedicated viewer slash photo manager made for one thing and one thing only. Fast, uncomplicated viewing of your trail cam images and videos. Lowdown makes viewing large numbers of images fast and easy. It allows you to easily delete individuals or groups of selected images. Find out more at lowdownviewer.com. 
it's fun talking chokes with Jim. Mind blowing. Well, it is I mean, just, really. I, I love that he's already figured it all out because for sure. most people, I think, that are choosing chokes, doesn't matter if it's for turkeys or sporting clays or waterfowl or whatever it may be, like they don't want to figure all that stuff out. They just, I mean, it's just too much. It's, it is it, too it really much. is too much. Unless and... you're doing it as a business for a living, like it's too much to figure out. And even if you, even if you do have the time and the want to, like, man. You got to know a lot of stuff about metallurgy and geometry. And I mean, some of those words, I don't even think I could repeat them. Definitely couldn't spell them. Yeah. No, for sure. No. So, But you know, I think the biggest thing I took away from today's conversation was the confidence factor. And I I, don't think about these things when you're, you just think it's going to be more of a technical discussion. Like, oh, you need a, you know, this constriction. But I really... That's my big takeaway from today is, and I think I said it earlier, but if you know what your gun does, then you know how to change your own form. But if you don't know sure. how, what your gun does, there's no point in even thinking about it because you may be manipulating the wrong variable. For sure. I, I totally agree you, with that. The shooter could be shooting great, but if you don't have the right choke in, yep. you never know. You don't know why you're not missing. And that's what I've, man, I've felt that exact thing every time I've ever been to the sport and clays Same. horses or even duck hunting. Yeah. It's just like, why did I miss? How did we miss? I don't understand. You know, you got the bird, he's out there 25 yards and everybody stands up in the blind and the bird flies off. And you're like, how in the world right. did that happen? Yeah. Same thing on the course. I think about that. You know, I've, I've shot that clay, missed it, tried to hit it again, missed it, tried to hit it again, missed it, you know, and I'm just, by the end of it, you just like, well, I'm terrible I, at this. I guess I'm never I'm doing terrible. this again. Yeah. <laughs> never doing this again. I love, I love what Jim was saying about that simple. He's so good at taking really complex things and, and sure. making them simple. And, and that simple exercise of going out with that clay target and actually not aiming at it and seeing how you break Aim it all around it and see how far you can get out before you break it. I think that, that I think this show has single-handedly and we'll see obviously in the field, but I mean, just knowledge wise, how can you go wrong? I mean, he's changed my shotgun shooting hundred percent. Yeah. Now you just got to get out there and, and, and try it, yeah. you know? And, and that's what I love too, is that, you definitely go check out Muller chokes and, but I mean, he's, he's giving you information that you could do with your, your factory chokes or just whatever came with your gun. It's not For like sure. you have to shoot his chokes to use these, these pearls of wisdom, but I love that he standardized choke tubes because that's, that's the biggest frustration with all of it. Absolutely agree, man. He's broken it down to an absolute science. The guy's obviously, I mean, he is the choke man. I mean, I, I don't, I can't, I can't think of anybody else that I've ever met that knows more than he does about chokes. Well, that's going to wrap it up for us this week. Appreciate you joining us. We want to make it easy for you to listen. So here's a handy option for you to get the podcast emailed to you each week. Just text the word hunting to 773-770-4377. Again, just text the word hunting to 773-770-4377. You'll join our email list. And wherever you are listening to podcasts, go ahead, subscribe, rate, and review. Send us a written review. We'd love to hear from you. If you got a show topic that you are interested in and like to see us cover, just email us at pros at landhunting.com. That's going to do it for us. Y'all stay safe out there. We'll talk to you next time. 
This week's Unlamped show is brought to you by Dixie Supply and Baker Metalworks. Dixie Supply and Baker Metalworks are proud to be your metal roofing headquarters for over 40 years. Save time and money by buying from the most reliable manufacturer on the Gulf Coast. They now have eight locations to serve you. Dixie Supply and Baker Metalworks, your metal roofing headquarters, and also Southern Seed Feed. Do you want to provide better nutrients for your deer? Check out Southern Buck. Your deer will love it. Visit their website at southernseedfeed.com or call 662-726-2638 to find the dealer nearest you. Mallard Bay Outdoors. Book your next guided hunting or fishing trip with thoroughly vetted guides or charters. Built by sportsmen for sportsmen. Mallardbay.com. Bucks Island Marine. Bucks Island is a full-service facility that sells new and used boats and motors. Visit them at 4500 Highway 77, Southside, Alabama, or give them a call at 256-442-2588. And also, Alabama Ag Credit. If you're in the market to purchase your own piece of paradise or need an operating line for your farm, learn more by visiting alabamaagcredit.com. 